Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zielinski. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Friday edition of the Sheila Zielinski Show. This show is going to be a shorter version. I'm having some uploading problems due to file size. I downloaded a new version of a player, and it's kicking me out at a certain mark. So I am having some issues with the live broadcast and the player, but I'm trying to get that sorted out. So if this is a small file, it will work. So I'm just going to come to you from my heart today. I really feel that this is the message for today. So I'm just going to talk to you today from my heart about something I think is really important because, you know, we as Christians, we throw around those words faith, hope, and trust a lot, don't we? I often have people email me that they just are really starting to give up hope. They're starting to give up faith. They look around at the debauchery in the world and every single thing that is unfolding, and people are overwhelmed. It's sometimes like the more rabbit holes you go down, the more disturbed you get. And you look around, and sometimes it really is hard to see. Where is the hand of God here? And so I'm seeing a theme in these kind of emails where, How are we supposed to have faith, Sheila? Have you looked around lately? I'm not seeing the power of God work in my life. It's discouraging when things like, and this presidential election is no exception because people are really asking the question, why is it that all these evil people always get away with everything? Why are they getting away with this stuff? Why is crooked Hillary never getting charged with anything? She should have been charged for high treason a long time ago. What does it take? to get this woman indicted. But then God put this on my heart, and I want to read this to you. Grab your Bible and read Psalm 73. Isn't that a powerful scripture? I want to read it together. I think this is really important. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasses them about as a chain. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than any heart could wish. They're corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walking through the earth. Therefore, as people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? Is there any knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, 
I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How in an utter moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. And thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I, and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee, nevertheless I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon the earth that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works." What incredibly powerful scripture that is. Where is the Christian who's not struggled with this exact same problem? Righteous people seem pressed down on every hand, often struggling for the very necessities of life, whereas these openly arrogant and wicked unbelievers, they flaunt their godless lives, sometimes wallowing in wealth and luxuries. That's usually the case. And the psalmist addresses that very problem. Why is this seeming disparity between what appears to be God's treatment of the righteous and the wicked? And that is the truth emphasized by Jesus, who stated that the sons of this world are for their own generation wiser than the sons of light. Luke 16, 8 says that. There seems to be something in God's people that hinders their worldly success. And this isn't the only Old Testament scripture that deals with this problem. Psalm 37 and 49, as well as the book of Job confront this problem, dealing with it extensively. You know, in in verse 2, the psalmist is looking back upon the temptations which almost overcame him. Almost. And he recognizes how fatal it would be for him to succumb unto that. When he says, I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no pangs in their death. Think about Herod the second was eaten with worms at the very moment when he was having himself proclaimed as a god. The dogs that ate Jezebel, there's a mile-long list. Look at Pharaoh, Judas, Saul, Absalom, Nero. There's just a, a litany of people. They scoff. That word, they scoff, it describes the arrogant and boastful speech of the wicked. They have set their mouth in the heavens. In other words, they speak like they own heaven and earth. They're so pompous and arrogant, these mocky mockers. Aren't they just so arrogant? It's just the absolute disdain for God, the pride and the iniquity. And a lot of these arrogant, wicked people do that. And they say, how doth God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? That does accurately describe the wicked. They are unbelievers, they're practical atheists who have no knowledge of God, and you know what? They don't desire any either. But it's important to note the place where real enlightenment came to the this tempted heart of the psalmist. It came in the house of worship. And the same thing still happens if men 
would be strengthened in their faith and delivered from the manifold temptations which the evil one continually hurls against the sons of God, let him attend the worship services. There's no substitute for God. There's just not. There is certain to come a day of judgment when God will cast evil out of his universe and Satan himself will receive the destruction which he so richly deserves. And we have to remember that the hell spoken of so often in the Bible, under so many different figures, it was never intended for evil men. That's a devil's hell. It was intended for Satan, and God never intended that any man should suffer in such a place. Moreover, Christ himself spread wide his bleeding hands upon the cross to keep any man from sharing Satan's punishment. But when willful men choose to follow Satan instead of the loving Savior, how can such a fate be avoided? And the scripture that says, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides thee, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Think about that. What a marvelous affirmation of faith in God is made here. The answer to all the stuff going on, all of earth's iniquities, the lawlessness, the maladjustments, the injustices, the wretchedness, the debauchery. That's to be expected in this life, this temporary life. But he goes on to say, great is your reward in heaven and afterward receives me to glory. You know, the Apostle Paul, he understood how to handle tough circumstances. Think about it. Even when he was confined in a prison cell, he kept his eyes on Christ Jesus and he trusted firmly in the Savior. Despite being in chains, he was able to celebrate the Lord's work in his life. In fact, the epistle he wrote from jail to the Philippians was filled with joy, rejoicing. Think about that. Focusing on Jesus Christ, it's neither a natural reaction nor an easy one. Our instinct, let's face it, is to dwell on the situation at hand, searching for solutions or stewing over the pain, the difficulty, our troubles. We have trouble and pressure. And as a result, troubles look scary and they overwhelm us with a sense of defeat. But you know what? Fear and defeat, they cannot live long in a heart that trusts the Lord. And I'm not saying to you, forget what you're going through, but you can choose to dwell on his provision and his care. He's the deliverer. Second Corinthians 1.10. Look that up. He's the healer. Deuteronomy 32.39. He's the guide. He's our guide. Proverbs 3.6. So the believer who lays claim to divine promises, you know what they discover? That God pushes back negative emotions. In their place, hope, confidence, and contentment, they take up residence. Read Philippians 4.11. Yeah, it's not fun to be in a difficult situation, but you can be satisfied that God is in control and he's up to something good in the midst of trouble. I always say when you're down to nothing, God's up to something. The Lord's principles and promises don't change no matter how severe, no matter what situation you're going through, no matter how painful it is. Focus on Jesus Christ instead of your circumstances. God will comfort your heart. He'll bring you through that trial. God's already written the book of your life. Don't get hung up on a page. You can answer Paul's call in Philippians 4.4 to rejoice in the Lord always. I hope you have a very blessed weekend. God bless you. We'll see you Monday. Good night.